The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Here we are. We're still going through our series on Acts of the Apostles and we've reached chapter 8. I know last week Kevin was taking two chapters as you were looking at the life of Stephen. And today we're looking at this title, Persecution and Progress. Persecution and Progress. And we'll be looking at Samaria, we'll be looking at a sorcerer, and we'll be looking at the exchequer. So those are the things that we're going to be looking at today. Persecution and Progress. And I'm just going to start off by reading from Acts chapter 8, the first three verses. And it starts off like this, and Saul approved of their killing him. Now, this is our direct link from chapter 7. Chapter 7 is where Stephen has just been martyred. And it says that Saul, who later on is going to become renamed as the Apostle Paul, but at this point he's a Pharisee known as Saul, and he is standing there. He is observing what's going on with Stephen. He's seen this process. He is watching as Stephen is actually killed. And as Kevin said, they're throwing rocks at him. It's a horrible gory sight and Saul approved of their killing him it says on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria godly men buried Stephen and mourning deeply for him but Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. The killing of Stephen is one of those definitive moments. And you know, even in our own history, there are various things. Where were you when this happened? You know, there's the Twin Towers thing, for instance. Where were you when that happened? It's a defining moment, actually, in history. Things seem to be very different after that event than beforehand. And right here, or what happened last Sunday as you like, as, uh, as Kevin was preaching, this m- martyrdom of Stephen, this was a defining moment for the early church. This was something that really shifted at that moment in time. Because as soon as Stephen is killed, then persecution breaks out against this young church. It's like that was the final thing. It was the straw that broke the camel's back. That's it. Now, persecution gets let loose. And everyone, apart from the apostles were able to remain in Jerusalem. It says that the others were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. The religious authorities are now fighting back. We know that they've been angry. We know that they've been frustrated. We know that there's a boiling, as it were, below the surface. And it's like that that has now erupted out. And they're saying enough is enough. We've had enough of this disobedience against what we've been preaching. And so suddenly, there's this sort of wave that is let loose. And Saul is leading the way, as it were, on this renewed passion to uphold the values that the Pharisees were teaching. Look at the words that Luke uses to describe what was happening. He says, Saul began to destroy the church. Wow, that's some statement. And persecution 
is let loose. Stephen martyred. Other Christians are now fleeing for their lives. Men and women are being dragged off to prison. What on earth? You know, it's almost like a question surely must have arisen in the church. God, why is all of this happening? Why is this happening to us? But at the same time, they must have been reminding themselves. And it certainly says in Ephesians, and they would have learned later, Ephesians 1 verse 11, it says that God makes everything work out according to his plan. Surely this can't be your plan. This is a terrible thing that's happened. Are you sure that God works everything out in accordance with his plans? But yeah, we're reminded again in Romans 8, 28, where it says this, and we know, and this is Paul writing this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. So in the midst of this persecution, in the midst of this unrest, we're still believing that God is working his purposes out. It reminded me of the story of Joseph. Joseph, the young man that you can read about at the, towards the end of the book of Genesis. Joseph went through so much turbulence and difficulty, facing rejection from his brothers in his family, being sold into slavery, ending up as a slave. As a slave is wrongly accused and facing wrong accusations, is imprisoned and put in prison and is rotting in prison. He experienced all of those things, and yet God turned everything around because he became second in command to Pharaoh eventually and was ruling and was protecting Egypt against famine. So a tremendous turnaround happened to him. But later on in life, when he'd been reunited with his family and actually God had done many wonderful things, he said to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. And actually, when we look at what was happening now, persecution was breaking out against this early church. The Christians were being scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Everybody's running for their lives. Some are being dragged off to prison. Horrible things are happening. And yet we can see, or we will see, that what was clearly meant as harm... We're going to get our way. We're going to get rid of these Christians. What people were saying in Jerusalem actually turned out to increase the church and to be a great blessing upon the church. But let's see what happened to some of those believers who were in Jerusalem. Acts 8 verses 4 and 5. It says that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Let me just repeat that. Those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. So what we're finding is that though persecution is breaking out, persecution is actually prompting progress for the church. That's three P's in one sentence. Um, in fact, we could almost say... What if that persecution hadn't broken out? But it did break out, and this is what happened. Anyway, Philip goes off from Jerusalem, and he goes off to Samaria. Now, I'm just saying Philip just like that. Let's just remind ourselves who Philip is. And if we were to go back to Acts chapter 6, which is one of the uh, chapters that uh, you heard from last week, then you'd have been talking about Stephen, and Kevin mentioned about Stephen, but Acts chapter 6 says of those who were chosen. Let me read it to you. Acts 6, verses 3 to 5. Brothers and sisters, 
Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. If you remember from what Kevin said last week, they were establishing, if you like, a food bank in the church in Jerusalem. Because some of the widows were not getting food, some were being overlooked, it wasn't organized. So they said, we need to organize this. So right, let's get seven men. Not people who are able to lift heavy boxes, or people who know a way around the streets of Jerusalem, but men who are full of the spirit and wisdom. That's what they wanted. They gathered them together to do this program. It says, this proposal, it says, please the whole group. They chose Stephen, we heard about Stephen last week, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. So there's the seven men. One of those, well, we know about Stephen, but one of the others was Philip. And this is the Philip that we're talking about. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. So Philip is moving out of Jerusalem to Samaria. So what we're talking about is that Philip went from Jerusalem, he went northwards into Samaria. Samaria being a region, okay, not a city necessarily. Okay. Right, so it says Samaria. So Philip in Samaria. Anyway, Philip hasn't had to travel very far, but he is out of Jerusalem. Okay, that's behind him now. But you know what? In one sense, I'm thinking about myself. If that had been me, and we'd experienced such a horrible situation in Bromley, everything was kicking off in Bromley. We got out of Bromley, and we went from Bromley, and we went across to Croydon, not too far, but we went away from where the problems were. I just sort of want to keep quiet. Okay, I, I, I'm here. I'll get my head down so that nobody comes after me. But that's not what happened. Wherever they went, they went preaching the gospel. Now, Philip, he hasn't, as I say, he hasn't traveled very far, but he is now in a different place. Samaria isn't a town, it's a, it's a region. And it says that he went down to a city in Samaria. Now, as I was looking into this, many of the commentators say this. They think the city that he went to, in this case, they've got down there, is it Sebast, which happens to be like the capital city or, or an important city there. That's what they've suggested. Many commentators say, no, 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 he went to Sychar. That being the place where Jesus had been with the disciples before in Samaria. That place where the well was. That place where he met the woman at the well. And Jesus talked to her. And he told her everything that she'd ever done. And so the testimony of this woman was to go back to the city. And to say to them, come meet a man who has told me everything I've ever did. And Jesus stayed there for three days. So I, I have some sympathy with these commentators. say, yeah, it would make sense for you to go somewhere where the disciples or there's been some connection before. We don't know that for certain. But it just, it like, it's a nice little narrative, as it were, to this story. But what we do know is that Philip went to this city, whatever city it was, and there he proclaimed the Messiah. Now don't forget, just saying the Messiah, this is the salvation that Jesus has come to bring. This is the promised one that the Jews were expecting. And he's saying, he's now come to rescue you, to save you. He's come to deliver you. And it says there that Philip proclaimed the Messiah. And again, what it means is that proclamation isn't just like, oh, I've spoken. 
The, the Greek has the understanding of, I've spoken and I go on speaking. So the idea is that it's trying to give us the sense that Philip went there and he didn't just say to one person, oh, by the way, it's that he is proclaiming day after day. I want everybody in this city to know that the Messiah has come, that Jesus is Lord, that he is salvation. Philip has come to declare Jesus. So he's literally suggesting that week after week, month after month, he is out there proclaiming the gospel. In fact, as I look at this story in this chapter, the one thing that shakes me is that it's telling us that they were together in Jerusalem, but as soon as they left Jerusalem, the highest priority of these Christians was to declare the salvation that they found in Jerusalem wherever they went. And you know what it makes me feel? It makes me reflect back on myself and say, God, what is it that has caused us not to hold our salvation in such a precious way that we are agonizing to quickly, we've got to share this because this is good news. We, I tend to think this is good news for me and it's done good things for me but I'm sure that some people, if I share it, they seem to be embarrassed or not for them type of thing. So I guess I better keep it to me. But that's never what we've been called for. We've been called to go. To go. And to proclaim the good news. And we see with these early Christians, they were going and wherever they went, they were proclaiming. Philip being a classic example. Full of the Holy Spirit full of wisdom, but full of the message of Jesus at the same time. In fact, it wasn't just that he was full of the Holy Spirit, so wow, you know, I love being with the Holy Spirit and being a bit airy-fairy, as it were. He was very practical. He went proclaiming Jesus and telling people about Jesus. Acts chapter 6, verses 6 to 8. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed... They all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Here's Philip running from persecution, because that was a sensible thing to do. I need to get out of here. Running from persecution, but here in Samaria, he is acting with proclamation. He is declaring Jesus. He not only had a good audience and was able to declare the gospel with signs following, but he encountered evil spirits and people were being delivered of evil spirits. People who were sick were being healed. Is it surprising that Luke, who obviously had seen these things, reports, and there was great joy in that city? Listen, when the downcast are raised up, when people who have been sick are now being healed. It's like, my life's been changed. Transformation has come. I'm not the same person who I was. This is what I was suffering from, but now Jesus has brought me into a new place. There is a transformation that takes place. Yes, I'm, I don't think it's surprising at all that there was great joy in that city. So Philip was working in Samaria, and it was here in Samaria that he encountered a sorcerer. So point two, Philip and the sorcerer. Let me read again from Acts chapter 8, verse 9. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city, 
and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. Notice that they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon, this sorcerer, Simon himself believed and was baptized and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Philip's preaching was having a wonderful effect in this city. Even this man, Simon, and actually what we're saying about, this is like a witch doctor, okay? He's practicing sorcery. He's using demonic forces to be able to do things. And it's because things are happening that people pay attention to him. People don't pay money even these days. Not so, well, we don't tend to see witch doctors, as it were, in this country, though they do operate. But certainly overseas, there's many places where people go to pay this person because they believe their spiritual powers will help them. And often they do find things, but they're operating out of demonic connection. They're evil people. But how? This is great news. Praise God, whereas Philip's preaching... This guy is repenting and giving his life over to Jesus Christ. Even witch doctors are getting saved. That is tremendous power. And you know what? Good news doesn't stay home. Good news travels. And what we're seeing here is that the good news of what's going on in this city in Samaria, that news has gone back down to Jerusalem. The apostles are hearing about what has happened. And actually, the apostles are saying, like, wow, we need to send somebody. So they send up Peter and John. Peter and John are sent from Jerusalem, and they go up to the city in Samaria to see exactly what had happened. Now, here's one of the interesting things that hadn't happened. So Philip is preaching. People are being saved. People are being baptized. We're seeing witch doctors even converted. People are being healed. All of that stuff is happening. But the Holy Spirit hasn't been poured out. And you know, when we go back to Acts, what is it, Acts chapter 2, when we're reading of the day of Pentecost, and Peter gets up to preach then, he's saying that this promise of the Holy Spirit, as he's talking about in Jerusalem, this promise of the Holy Spirit is going to be for everyone. Everyone who believes. And yet, in those days, we've got Philip gone there, but that hasn't happened. But when the apostles come, so Peter comes up with John, when they see what's going on, when they see that the, the, the Holy Spirit hasn't been poured out, then they actually do something about it. Let me read a little bit further for you. When they arrived, this is verse uh, 15, when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Praise God, this is like Pentecost. And of course it is an important thing because now what we're saying is Pentecost had come in Jerusalem to the Jews. Jesus being a Jew, but this is now in Samaria. And the whole thing about Samaria is that, well, actually the Jews don't talk to the Samaritans. This is, uh, this is awkward. 
And that goes back a long history of when actually the Jews got transported away by the Assyrians and the Assyrians brought in people from their own nations down into this area. So this is not a, this is mixed race people. If you want to put it in today. And, and we all know there's racism and stuff that goes on. This is all, that's why it's happening then. Oh, I talk to the Jews, I don't talk to you. We keep ourselves separate. And unfortunately, we still receive these things because, why? Because the heart of man is wicked above all things. Happening in Jesus' day, but a barrier is being broken. Listen, this Holy Spirit isn't just for people who are of Jewish descent. You Samaritans, here comes the Holy Spirit. Because we're all one in Christ Jesus. We are all one in Christ Jesus. So it's Pentecost amongst the Samaritans. Now, if we go on, verse 18, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I like to think this guy is just really enthusiastic and in one sense he just wants good things to happen to people, but he's offering money for it. And of course, Peter speaks into the situation. And we know from the last time I was speaking anyway, and we're talking about Ananias and Sapphira, we know that Peter has information from the Holy Spirit or he can receive information from the Holy Spirit. He knew what was going on with Ananias and Sapphira and we see something similar happening here because as Simon is offering Peter this money, Peter responds to Simon's offer of money and he says this, Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Verse 21, you have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see, says Peter, that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Now hang on a second, Simon is a new convert. Is this how we treat our new converts? <laughs> you know, we... I think the message, though, that we need to say here is not that we want to treat people harshly, but the message here is just because we've said we've come to Jesus and we've given our life to Jesus and we've received Jesus doesn't mean that everything inside is sorted out. And that was the same here. So Peter could see by the Holy Spirit's power into this guy's life, as it were, and says, okay, I can see that you've put your place in saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. Praise God for that. But actually, I can see what you're really wrestling with inside. There's still a lot of bitterness in you. You're still captive to sin. There's some strongholds in your life that have yet to be overcome. That's what's happening inside of you. Now, we can look at this. Oh, he's a witch doctor. No, there's a lot of stuff going on in there. Hardly surprising. But I think it's just good for us each to reflect. Every one of us to reflect. We may be saying, oh, I've got this ticket, as it were, to get to heaven. I've given my life to Jesus. I've opened myself up. But actually, is the bitterness still resting within me? Bitterness is that sense of, I've never really been able to forgive to the point that that unrest is completely removed from my soul. Are there areas of our lives where we are captive to sin? Where we don't just seem to be able to break free of that? 
And you know what? Try as hard as we might, we don't seem to be able to break free. That's because there is only one who can truly set us free. And it's as we surrender to him and allow him the lordship, literally, of God in our lives. Allowing him, he as our shepherd, knows the way to take us, the route on which we need to follow to release us from captivity. If you are here this morning, and you know, because the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, there's an area of your life that you know is captive, that you can't seem to break free, I have good news for you. Jesus sets people free. He sets people free. And you know what? Sometimes when you pray for somebody like that, a loud shriek can come out of them when devils are released. <gasps> They've got devil in that person. It's a relax. I can remember once, well, not once, I remember when I first went to Uganda, there was a time I was in this meeting and then we finished the meeting and I was talking to a guy who happened to be a Brazilian uh, a pastor and I was talking with him. And suddenly, I don't know what happened, but suddenly the Holy Spirit came and myself and another English guy were on the floor shrieking as demons were coming out and being prayed for by the Ugandans. I've received that. Shrieking, yes, I've heard these yelps and weird sounds coming out of me as I have been delivered. We don't see much of it, but please God, come amongst your people and set them free. I can remember when Clive and uh, Valeri, we went out to Uganda again. We were in a meeting with Pastor Charles. And uh, we'd been sharing and, and Charles was preaching. And suddenly this girl, neatly dressed, smartly dressed girl, fell to the floor, which was muddy. She had a white top on. And she was now moving around, making the, the shape of a snake and literally slithering across the floor. It was an eerie experience. It was eerie, but God sets people free. And that's something, well, we're not told that those things happened here, but what I am saying is, listen, we can just say like, oh, I'm okay, I'm fine. We may well not be fine. What we need is God's help to let his light shine upon our souls so that we can have revealed the stuff that holds us, the stuff that binds us, the stuff that limits us, the stuff that contains us, the stuff that's a ceiling above us. We don't want ceilings above us. We want to have blue skies and we want to rise up for Jesus. Therefore, we need to be bold, folks. And sometimes we need to say, Lord, come and have your way. I allow you to have your way in my heart. Remove every area of bitterness. Remove every area of sin so that I might rise up with you. Philip has been in Samaria. Philip has been with the sorcerer. And now we come, Philip and the Chancellor of the Exchequer. We've been up in Samaria, okay? And now we're going to find that Philip is being called down to the desert road. And there's the desert road. And you know, when you say desert road, you think like, if I was to say to you, well, you want to go to Birmingham, or you want to go to Manchester, or you want to go to Leeds, saying, oh, Leeds, whatever, oh, that's the M1. You, you think of roads, obviously, if you want to go around London, or park around London, that's called the M25. Um, but you know there are roads, certain roads, that's where you go. Okay, that's what this is like. This is like the motorway. The motorway from Jerusalem that goes down to Gaza, that's the desert road. It's just known as the desert road. It wasn't called the M23 in those days. Um, so that's where our man Philip is going to come down here and he's going to go down the desert road to Gaza. Thank you. Let me read, okay. 
Acts 8.27. So it says, oh, oh, an angel of the Lord, I should have said. An angel of the Lord came to Philip. This guy has encounters, okay? He has encounters with God, which you know when we said he was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom? There has, seems to have a look about it, doesn't it? Because sometimes we can say, like, well, I've got the Holy Spirit. I'm... Okay, anyway, let's go on. He has an angel that comes to him, and the angel tells him, I want you to go down on this road, the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza, that desert highway. I want you to go down to that road. Acts 8.27. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. So he is the Chancellor of the Exchequer of the Queen of the Ethiopians. That's really who it is, okay? This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, this is the thing. that I wonder how fast the chariot was moving. Because Philip is told, we haven't got told he's got a supercharged donkey or anything like that. So this guy might be just running up quickly, running up alongside, and the guy might have been looking at him, thinking like, what's this idiot running alongside? What's going on? Anyway, maybe he's getting out of breath. Maybe he's saying, uh, he's overhearing what he's reading. And so he's saying, do you understand? And fortunately, the man actually said to come up here. Let me carry on. Uh, Then Philip ran to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone comes, uh, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is, you know, just supposing you saw the Range Rover carrying the Chancellor of the Exchequer down the mall or something, and you say, oh, I'd like a lift, and the door opens and you get in, and suddenly there's a, there's a sense of awe because you're moving up in the world. You're operating with people who are of a high level, okay? This is, there would have been that about it. There's pomp and circumstance. This is, a, this is a guy who's rich, who's wealthy, who's well looked after. This was a nicely painted chariot. This wasn't just some ox cart that we're talking about. So Philip is there. Do you understand? No, I don't understand. So Philip is invited up into this chariot. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Now, what if that was you? If you were the, the eunuch, you're reading this stuff, and you're saying, like, okay, this is nice. I know it's a prophet. Okay, what is this all about? Because it's a bit of a strange passage. So he's asking questions. And yet, he's now saying to Philip, can you tell me, who is this about? Philip, meanwhile, would have been bursting, I'm quite sure, inside. Who is this about? Hey, what an opening. Let me tell you. Then it says, verse 35, then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Philip can't hold it back. Every time he gets an opportunity, he's sharing the gospel. And here he's been given a wonderful opportunity. And he takes it 
and he shares the gospel so that this man can also understand what salvation is. Uh, so there is Philip. He's in the chariot. He's actually talking to this guy and he's telling him about Jesus. And as they're going along, they find this part, area of water. And so now the Ethiopian says to Philip, he says, look, here is water. What can stop me from being baptized? I mean, like, wow, I've been, I've been on the street sometimes, shared with people, they make a response, and we're looking, can we have a cup of coffee with you? This is like way beyond that. The guy's saying, I want to be baptized. Look, here's water. Well, let's get baptized now. Okay. So Philip actually goes down into the water, and he baptizes this man. Wow. As he comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit takes hold of Philip. I don't know how. Because next, Philip arrives at another town, Azusas, some way away. And the eunuch is left there, I don't know, excited? Uh, weird? What's going on? But something has changed. But just think of this. A short while ago, we were the church in Jerusalem. And we were just going about our business and we, we were enjoying that aspect of reaching Jerusalem and just being together. But now persecution came. Who wants persecution? And yet look what persecution is doing. It's causing the Christians in Jerusalem to proclaim wherever they go the good news of Jesus. And now it has touched the Chancellor of the Exchequer of another nation. And we don't know his story. So we don't know where it went, but this man went home from Jerusalem, baptized, saved, and singing the praises of Jesus. That's what we do know. So, persecution came, but progress was being made as the gospel was going forth. And as I read this, the challenge, as I said, that may, it hits me is this, is that, Lord, please, please will you do something within us that takes us away from this, this idea that we tend to, to hold on to the, to the good news that we have. Because there's a certain fear that actually we might get rejected. People might not want to know. People might just say, I don't believe in any of that stuff. How can you believe in a God? And people can say all sorts of things. No, people do say all sorts of things. But I know this. The God in his mercy has chosen each one of us. And there was a time in our lives when we didn't know whether we believed. There was a time in our lives where we were confused. There's a time in our lives when we hadn't accepted Jesus. And yet he moved in us. And he's brought change in us. And he's still doing a work in us. And we might know that we're certainly not you know, finished yet. Gosh, I need Jesus to help me out a lot. We know there's a work in progress. But that's happened to us. But we also know this. I have know the peace that only Jesus can bring. I know salvation that only he can bring. I know the transformation that he has begun, but it's a transformation that only he can begin. Why do we want to hold that to ourselves? If we think about it, if we leave this place because we came under persecution, if it broke out here today, would it be that wherever we go, we would be sharing the gospel. And wherever do we go? 
Well, we go home from here maybe to have some lunch today at home, maybe to be with family, maybe to be with friends. Maybe we're going to go into Bromley and do some Christmas shopping or something. Wherever we're going, but maybe tomorrow we're at the bus stop. Maybe tomorrow we're at the supermarket. Maybe tomorrow we're at the doctors. Maybe tomorrow we're at school. Maybe tomorrow we're at work. Maybe wherever we go, whatever we encounter, please God, will you help us to know a new boldness that we might share the good news of Jesus. And for us, you know what? You might be thinking, I don't know how to say that... If he is able to take Philip to a desert road to meet with a Ethiopian Chancellor of the Exchequer, he's able to do something for you. Nothing is impossible for him. He is the good shepherd and he can lead us. Maybe for us to start is simply by taking our Christmas flyers and just saying, hey, would you like to come along to a carol service? You know, like we can start at level one and we can move up. But let's not hold the gospel in. Because obviously what we're seeing here in this early church is that they had an encounter with Jesus that had changed their lives. And we have had an encounter with Jesus. Maybe for us we need to be praying more. Lord, please open my heart, open my life up that I might respond to you. But whatever it is, let's give ourselves and open ourselves up to him. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning. Or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.